is coming. Yes. Yeah, it's a little bit tall. No, um, but Helen is taller than me, so she'll be fine. <laughs> this is good. Good evening. Wow, Steve, that was a fantastic welcome. Uh, so th we feel so welcome uh, already. Thank you so much for having us. We are so blessed. Now tonight, uh, I know I'll be coming to take the main session for tonight, but we are, we've got a, a double blessing tonight. I uh, just want to say we, we are so blessed to serve as a team. As uh, Steve has mentioned, we are, we are together as a team, uh, Lillian and myself uh, from Zambia. Uh, we're so blessed to have Rob and Helen. Actually, um, one of the powerful things, Rob will be speaking to us uh, later on this weekend. And if I were you, I would not miss that because it's a very important topic on, I think it flows around with the prophecy we had earlier, which is on knowing our authority and our stand in Christ. And I think every Christian needs to do that. So, uh, uh, so Rob will be coming later in the weekend, probably tomorrow, uh, to come and speak to us on that. But his wife, Helen, um, it's been a joy to travel uh, with them as a couple. And uh, Helen has a powerful testimony that has always been a blessing. So uh, we again uh, connived, convinced her, bribed her to come all the way down that uh, she shares part of this amazing story. It's an ongoing testimony that God has done and is doing in our life and family. So we thought we could start with that. Is that okay? And I think this will so bless you. I just encourage you to listen to the story and then I'll come at the back of that. So let's put our hands and we'll come Helen Coleman to come. Good evening everyone. It's really lovely to be here again. If it seems a little bit strange. So uh, Rob and I were in this church um, and we uh, really felt the Lord call us in 1994. So if you were here before 1994, hello again. Um, and it's really lovely to see a lot of new faces as well. Uh, so I'm married to, a bit of explanation, I'm married to Rob. Uh, we have two children, they're grown up now. And we have uh, a Ben, who grew up with Joe for a couple of years in the crash in Crawley, um, uh, which was wonderful. Yeah, he did as well. Uh, look what's happened. <laughs> Um, ben got married last year to a lovely lady called Sarah. They're part of the uh, church at Norwich, um, which is in, an, in another sphere. Look at this, we're going all sphery. And uh, then uh, we have a daughter called Ruth. Uh, she's uh, living in Bedford and going to the King's Arms Church there in yet another sphere. So there we are, we've, co we've covered them all, so we can get on there. Uh, so that's, that's me and our family. So I'm going to, as Joseph indicated, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. I hope that the story will bless you. I believe that God wants to bring you hope tonight. I, I felt during the worship, actually, that, you know, Jesus is here and Jesus is the hope bringer. Um, and where things look really hopeless, he's about to break in. And the things that look impossible suddenly become possible. So, um, and, and that's certainly what he did in uh, my life, uh, where things were looking a little impossible. 
God has broken in time and time again, and uh, as Joseph indicated, it's an ongoing story because we are all in a process, aren't we? We're all asking God to work on us more, and that's uh, a prayer he always answers. Okay, so, um, yeah, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, which is always surprises people. If I'm married to a church leader, sure, surely you did. Um, you've got that one wrong, but no, I definitely didn't. Um, I grew up in a very wealthy um, area. Uh, I was very posh. Uh, it's quite funny. I live in Bolton now. That always makes me laugh. Um, and I love it because that's God, isn't it? He puts us in different situations. I was an only child. And uh, yeah, as I said, no one in the family believed in God or ever went to church. I never went to church. Um, now, I'm going to tell you some just details about my childhood. And I, I, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I'm not telling you to feel sorry for me. I'm just indicating some things so that then... The rest of the story just makes some sense. But I didn't really have a very happy childhood. Uh, I, I don't have really any happy memories, and I don't have many memories. Um, life in our, our house was uh, very much centered around my parents' love of money, uh, and I grew up feeling very isolated and not very loved. And, and maybe that's your feeling too. I, maybe some people in this room will identify. No, it's not unusual for that to be so. Uh, my parents didn't love one another, and so there was a lot of shouting uh, in our house and or and or very, very angry silence where the you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. My dad had affairs, so he would leave the home from time to time. Uh, as commonly can happen in those situations, we looked a very nice family from the outside, but the reality on the inside was quite different. So my mum uh, was a, a, a working mother. She went back to work as soon as she could when I, uh, after I came along. And, um, yeah, she, that, that then resulted in me often being left on my own. And I know I was very, very young when that happened. I, I know from, um, I do have a memory of being in a house, which I can then put an age on myself. I was under eight. I was left for the day. She needed to go to work. I can remember being made a sandwich, told just stay in the bedroom, I'll be back. And it was a long stay in the bedroom. So, um, and, and that became the reality of some of the school holidays and so on. So I spent an awful lot of my time as a child being on, on my own. Uh, and I was also sent to private school, which I really didn't like. It, it was a, um, I think because I, I was not used to uh, relating to people, I didn't have many friends. I felt under a lot of pressure to um, reward my parents for sending me to private school by getting very good grades. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I found that I was in a lot of trouble. I was struggling. And uh, my mum at times could be very critical, very controlling of, of me. So I was, yeah, I was in really quite a dark place. And when I was 12, I, I have a memory where I was sitting in our garden and I said to myself something that you shouldn't say, really. And I said, if there's a God, you better do something or I'll kill myself by the time I'm 20. And I had really hit rock bottom. I think at that time you, I would have been diagnosed with something. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I wasn't. Um, I was diagnosed officially that I needed God. <laughs> and thankfully, he heard. he heard me. Um, that, you know, God hears that kind of cry. He really does. 
And uh, although um, immediately nothing changed, I know that that day, and I look back in my life, and that day was a turning point. That where I was at my lowest, God met me. And uh, but however, my family was still in a bit of a pickle. Uh, my dad was still having his affairs and coming and going. My mum, due to a lot of unhappiness in her life, developed a, an addiction to spending on credit cards. So the house was filling with things that we didn't need. Uh, she was very depressed and she made several attempts on her life during my later teens. So the good news, here it comes. <laughs> uh, when I was 17, um, God answered that prayer really powerfully. So when I was 17, I had a really annoying Christian friend. Did you have one of those? Um, a really annoying Christian friend who kept hassling me. I found her so annoying. She kept asking me to go to church. I thought, why would I want to go there? What can you do there? Um, uh, but she, I just thought, oh, just, I'll just go. I'll just go and then maybe she'll stop. And um, as soon as I went in the church, I felt hit by a wall of love. I, I, I knew, wow, that's something. God's in this place. And I heard a gospel preach, and I, I, I just gave my life to Jesus. I mean, what, what else would you do uh, when you've encountered such love? I, I was so blessed. God, just, there was a revelation straight away. Um, and I really thank God that was, uh, oh, Jesus has just, just changed everything in that moment. However, I, I knew I'd been powerfully saved and everything had changed. And yet inside, I, I still felt really, really rejected. I felt full of shame. Um, if, if, you, if, you, um, if you don't feel that you're loved, you feel ashamed. You know, you think, what's wrong with me? Why, why couldn't my mum and dad love me? Um, and I think that, well, I know that, you know, uh, the enemy isn't our friend. <laughs> We need to know this. He really isn't. And when we're really low, he, he, he can rush in. And I feel like that some of the traumas that I experienced in my childhood, I haven't told you all the things that happened, but, but the enemy kind of came in and just took advantage, really, of the opportunities presented by my parents' weaknesses. And, and fear and rejection had got, really got a grip of my life. And um, some wonderful people prayed for me for healing uh, including wonderful people in this church, so thank you. Um, uh, and, you know, and God, in his grace, he touched me, he healed me hugely. I was able to forgive my parents. And, I, you know, I look back and I think, you know, they were suffering. They, uh, they themselves were incredibly unhappy. But, you know, there was still this thing on the inside of me that I was very, very fearful. That was another thing. I was so afraid. Um, and I felt really guilty because, you know, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't feel afraid. So I do the things that you would advise uh, uh, people to do who feel afraid. Um, it would work for a little while. And then I'd be right back around in the fear again. And it's very embarrassing if you're married to an elder and then you're married to a church leader and you're full of fear. And it's, yeah, it's you feel a fraud, to be honest. And I, 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 I was afraid of things like dying. I was afraid that I was going to have a mental breakdown. I was afraid that I'd be alone. Um, and I felt like I lived under this sort of cloud. There was always like a heaviness over me. Uh, and I felt always a little bit detached from what was going on. I didn't know what to do. So I just 
did what British people do and push it down and <laughs> try and get on. Um, but in my Christian life, I always felt like I took two steps forward and then one back. I couldn't just seem to break through. So uh, much more up to date. In uh, 2015, uh, Rob and myself were in Zambia uh, visiting Joseph and Lillian, as was our habit. We, we tend to go uh, once a year. It's a lovely habit. <laughs> um, I, I don't plan on breaking that one anytime soon. Um, but um, yeah, we, as a family, we've been going through a really difficult time. So my mother had passed away some years before, and my dad uh, passed away as well. Um, and, and around that time, we began to notice that our daughter Ruth was uh, having, uh, beginning to have difficulty to speak. She was struggling to actually speak, which sounds an odd thing to say, but it was true. She, 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 was, she couldn't get her words out. She was, her voice would just break off, um, and it seemed to be getting worse. Um, and while we were in Zambia, she she got a she'd been to the GP, he'd referred her, and so on and so on. And she got a really um, very bleak diagnosis, which she messaged out to us. And really, there wasn't a lot they could do, um, and possibly it was going to get worse. And oh, it was devastating. She was coming up to twenty one at the time. She was in her final year at uni. We thought, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You know, parents here, you know what that would feel like um and so Joseph and Lily said well we've got to pray and as they were praying I suddenly felt really strange we were sat in their lounge and obviously I was emotional because of our daughter but I began to feel really strange like a little bit uh, very weird <laughs> I can't really describe it and uh and I think it was Joseph or Lillian noticed what's 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 up and uh I, I said oh, I just feel really horrible um, and Lillian start, came over and just started praying against the spirit of an old woman. Um, at which point, I didn't know what to think about that. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> Am I that old? Um, but I, I actually immediately in my mind uh, came um, a picture of my maternal grandmother, my mother's mother, um, who was quite um, a challenging woman, really. Uh, very, very challenging. But she liked to be the boss. She liked to be in control. And basically, I was set free, really, at that, in that moment. As, as Lillian prayed, in the name of Jesus, I was set free. I knew something left me. Uh, the oppression kind of lifted off. I, I felt so much better. Um, and um, Lillian explained that the night before we arrived in Zambia, she'd had this dream of an elderly white woman who was having a go at Lillian in the dream and um, she knew it was a demon she just commanded it to go in the name of Jesus and when we arrived in Zambia she knew it was to do with us um, and at that point in time there weren't, uh, they weren't really in contact with many white people in Zambia, there weren't any white people in the church um, so they knew it was to do with us but you can't really bring that up over a cup of tea can you, you just, can I just mention your your grandmother um but yeah it all just made sense when this this point came so we thank god and i i think with the the, the thing with my grandmother it began to point towards something generational so we were praying for ruth and then something happens to me you know and I, believe you me i am feeling so good at this point 
but in a weird way, feeling so concerned for Ruth. But actually, I knew something had really deeply changed in me. And so we came back to the UK and, um, you know, I knew that we just had to pray and, and we, we began to pray as a family. I knew that I needed more freedom. Things just began, began to come to the surface, things that I needed to repent of, things, strongholds in my life. Um, you know, I had to get hold of the word of God really apply it to my life and uh, we prayed we fasted we cried out to God did it all at once <laughs> again and again because we knew that we were really there was something in our family that we really needed to God to shift and, and after a really significant prayer time in the summer when uh, Joseph and Lillian were over again um, I really really knew that something massive had changed for me and I felt like I could be the person that God had made me. This is the really, really great. <laughs> um, this is just so amazing. You know, I kept saying to Rob, is it normal to feel like this? That's how different I felt. I thought, oh, I'm so, I don't know who, I almost didn't know who I, in a, in a good sense, I didn't, almost didn't know who I was because I felt so, so different. And, you know, it's just, it was, it's just incredible. Um, and that's what Jesus does. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus changes things. He changes people. He sets people free. Um, <clears throat> and so um, another thing that I could mention as well is that uh, he's also healed me. Um, so uh, at the beginning of 2016, I, for about 10 years, I hadn't been able to eat wheat um, I had to avoid all of that, all of that stuff. And uh, I began to think, mm, I don't think I need to avoid that stuff anymore. I, I felt like it was in connection with everything else. I didn't really have a, I couldn't prove that scientifically, but I just thought, okay, so we're going to start to pray about this. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want to make a big song and dance, but Rob and I, we just began to pray. And I, because um, I wasn't celiac, I, I just thought, right, I'm just going to start eating again I'm just going to start eating wheat uh, and and I noticed the difference but it wasn't consistent so sometimes I'd be okay sometimes I wouldn't um, but I just thought no I'm gonna just keep going I believe Jesus is healing me and uh, that we were at a conference and there was a call for prayer and Rob prayed for me again and I, he actually put his hand on my stomach and felt something move it's just so strange but God was just moving powerfully and um, after about six months or so, I, I was just able to start eating normally. So I eat normally. I eat bread, pasta, you name it. I love it. <laughs> so it's just amazing. So God not only has set me free, but he's also healed something as well. And that's what he does. Uh, in summer 2016, we read a book about Freemasonry. And that struck a chord as well, and we began to pray into that. Because obviously, my relatives are, are, are have passed away now, so we just, in faith, <laughs> prayed into that and uh, experienced further freedom. So God has been so good to us. And, I mean, Ruth's got her own amazing story. Um, and she's still a work in progress with her voice. You're probably thinking, tell me what's happening there. Um, well, I would say her voice is greatly improved but she's not completely healed. Her personality has completely changed. I mean, she, yeah, she's just amazing. <laughs> she's 
free now to be the person that God made her to be. She was an incredible child. And then when she went through her teens, it was like her personality just disappeared. And we've got the real Ruth back now, which is just amazing. So we're praying on that complete physical healing. But she's coping so well. She's working. She's just got promoted. I mean, she's very involved in the church. So we thank God. But she's got her own wonderful story. And uh, we're believing God for... I'm feeling like God wants to set me free more. Uh, I feel like God wants to do more in Ruth. I mean, this is what it's about, guys. God wants to set us free, you know. So that's our story. Thanks for listening. That's better. I'm told it's quite warm in here, so um, I'll, I'll take off. <laughs> Did you enjoy Helen's story? Let's give the Lord another big clap. Good. So as we start this time together, can I encourage each one of us just to be uh, open with the Lord? Because I think this is safe ground. Now, part of what we see as we go around different churches, and at the moment, both uh, Robin and Helen, Lillian and I are having opportunities to speak in different uh, situations. Uh, we just came from uh, a big conference up north, the Devoted Conference. Some of you know about it, with Christ Central, and we had an opportunity to have a whole training tracks over three days, and just being able to chat these things through. And we were so surprised how... Um, what a few years ago in the church would have been seen to be very basic information on spiritual warfare, somehow, somehow, it just, we've just lost it somewhere. But uh, looking around this room, I just feel that the, the people in this room, that God has been talking to you already about this, and all the stuff that's going on, either in your family or in your wider family, uh, or people you know, you just feel something needs to happen. May I encourage you this weekend just to engage with God and ask him for, yeah, uh, as Steve mentioned, a breakthrough somehow. It's not by power, it's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And uh, Crowley Community Church, this is a mature church. So we feel really blessed. This is a church that's seasoned with men and women of God who walked with God for many, many years, some of you. And uh, we just pray that at this time, uh, I do believe even in the life of the church, there's something fresh that God is doing, uh, and may we engage in that. So can I just encourage you, all of us, there's nobody who's perfect, there's nobody uh, who, who knows it all. Some of the stuff I'll talk about, and, the, the, and our friends will be talking, Lillian will be talking about, it's stuff some of you already know. But the key thing is, it's not just what we know, it's what we leave, isn't it? It's, it's what's going on in our lives. That's, that's more critical. Um, so tonight, we're just going to uh, look at, a, uh, at a, just at the back of that powerful story uh, from Helen, her own personal journey. We'll look at the nature of spiritual warfare, just understanding spiritual uh, warfare. So uh, we just want to just introduce this thing, and, and then tomorrow, as I say, uh, uh, those of you who have a chance to come in the afternoon, go a little bit deeper and a bit more practical on the how-tos of dealing with different things 
that confront us. Um, as I said, Rob has got a powerful topic on understanding our authority, which we have. So you can be able to deal with this in your situation. You're a Christian, you're a believer, God has empowered you. Uh, but we need to know, my people perish for lack of? You guys are great. You're finishing all the story, all the verses that I start without <laughs> looking them up. That's very good. So we're on the same page. So knowledge is important and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So it's a truth that you know, but also the truth that you live in that brings that release. Uh, Lily will be talking a lot more about the how-tos, the practicalities, because she does loads of uh, personal, and now we're getting involved with uh, corporate deliverances. So just to be able to, or did I say deliverance? No, it's not a deliverance thing, so we don't want to scare anybody. This is spiritual warfare, okay? This is good. Amen? Well, okay, it's the same thing, uh, somebody <laughs> said. Uh, but, but basically, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, Lily uh, does a lot of practical stuff in, the t in terms of how-tos. So I think tomorrow afternoon will be quite a good opportunity for those of you, especially those of you who feel you are even drawn or called to something like this, uh, to help others go through uh, breakthroughs in this, in this area. Um, so if you've got your Bible, let's just read a couple of verses as we look at the nature or understanding uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, let's read a couple of verses. Let's start from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And I love this verse because it's a lovely verse that talks about Jesus. So we'll read about three verses in a row, then I can just uh, be referring to them as we go along. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, dealing with uh, understanding uh, the nature of our warfare or spiritual warfare. 10 and verse 38. Okay, the Bible says, maybe let's start from uh, a little bit. Yeah, let's just read verse 37. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing good. I love that. Jesus went about doing good. And then it says, and healing all who were oppressed. Oh, that's a good one. That's a new, which one is that? The Neva one. Um, we'll go with that. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Now, that's quite direct. Who were, um, NIV, do you have an NIV there? Put, put it there. Just, just to explore that a little bit, that way it says we're under the power of the devil because God was with him. So we start from that point. Jesus went about doing good. And then in particular, we notice that um, there is seemed to be a connection between doing good and healing and also the healing with this sort of oppression. Uh, my, verse is, my verse in the ESV, if you have the ESV, it says, Who, those were oppressed by the devil. I think the word oppressed there, or, um, which is the same as uh, being under the power of the devil, the oppression is a key thing. And um, we'll come back to that. Uh, in the life of Jesus, this thing we're talking about is not something that was seen as specialized uh, just for a few freaks in the 
in the synagogue who kind of like have uh, this interest about the devil and demons and they like it and they probably happen to come from Africa where we have chased all the demons to go to. Uh, but no, this thing to Jesus, it was central. Well, I'll come back to that point. Very, very important that spiritual warfare, beloved, it's one of the tricks of the devil that he has made us and made, made many people believe this is not for you. You're not one of those funny guys who talk about demons. This is, you know, you, you get on with mainstream Christianity. But here is Jesus. It says he had to deal with people who are oppressed by the devil. And let me start this, that as we heard from uh, Helen's story, there are a lot of people in our churches who are oppressed by the devil. There are, there's a lot of oppression, more than we realize that there is. Now, that's not an admission to say that the power of God is not working. It's just that uh, as we seek God, there's also something God has given us that we are not using. And sometimes a recognition of something that is happening that sometimes we don't want to face up to. Now, uh, I won't go into detail in explaining that verse, but just hold that in your mind. Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. The second verse I wanted to read is uh, our, our classic verse in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Paul is talking to the Ephesian church. In fact, although this is in the final chapter, um, the thought of battle against the principalities and power and putting on the whole armor of God, many of us, uh, this is a lovely scripture which uh, we, 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 it's a lovely, lovely book uh, which we have preached on a lot. So you know the background to this. But the context of the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians is the whole thing of uh, battle. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, let's read from verse 10. Verse 10, it says, uh, finally, be strong in the Lord. Finally, because uh, right, right at the end. Uh, in, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Again, power, mighty power there. Very nice. Verse 11, and um, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against their devil's schemes. Again, that comes up. The devil has schemes. Oh, other versions says the devil's tricks. Uh, or if you are from a military background, it's the devil's strategies. Uh, so the devil has got clear strategies that he employs um, uh, against, principally, the kingdom of God and people of God, like you and me. So uh, what's coming out clearly there is that there is a battle that's going on. We do have an enemy, and the devil is not some fictitious kind of thing that we all just come, somebody came up with, you know, it's just an, a bad idea about bad. No, this is a real enemy. He has a real uh, kingdom and real strategies against us and against you and against your family. Uh, so then he's saying, therefore, there is an armor God has given us to protect us. We've got to be active in this battle. You can't, you can't be in battle and just be passive and sit there uh, and hope it's not happening, which is, uh, unfortunately, uh, the stance some Christians take. They just think this is not happening. That's not for me. It's for some people out there. No. Paul is talking to the whole church. Yeah? That includes us. Amen? Amen. 
All right. So he says there's a devil there and he has schemes against us. Now, the next verse is even more important is for our struggle. Um, is not against flesh and blood. Now, I don't know if the guys at the back, are you able to change visions? I'm just checking. This is very helpful. Are you able to change visions or? Uh, or it depends. Okay, that's fine. Uh, uh, yeah, so if, uh, if the machine agrees, I wanted the KJV, but uh, I can read it here for you. But let's read it the way it is, because it's, it's really uh, right down the streets. For our struggle, and other says our battle, or our we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, uh, or human beings, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So Paul seems to be talking about stuff, you know, and I've noticed that in most of the churches, you can preach about verse 10 and verse 11 very well, and then somehow in verse 12, things get quite complicated, because you just, Paul seems to be talking about another realm. You see there, spiritual wickedness in high places, he's talking about these rulers of darkness. Well, let's just be straight and, and just say to one of the most of, most of us, this what I'm talking about is not something that you deny, it's something you know is there. Say amen if you're with me. Amen. Yeah, you know it's there. There is a spiritual um, arsenal out there. In the KJV, it's, oh, that's a KJV. Thank you so much. The machine has agreed. Uh, it says, for we wrestle. Now, I was actually, the, I, I was reading a book on that verse that was a bit, uh, uh, Okay, on the on light side, uh, uh, Steve, you know, it says some of us punctuate that wrongly. You know, now, this is an English audience, so if I was doing this in Africa, this is very, it's fun. But I need to be careful here, I'm in England. <laughs> it says, for we wrestle not. So if I pause there, the meaning changes. Eh? It has just changed. We wrestle not. Against, yeah. So when I say we wrestle not, then I pause. It means we don't fight. Is that what it means in English, huh? Okay, so you see, that's easy for you. In Africa, I would spend 30 minutes trying to explain. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think that we can all agree that there's no no stop in between there. It's a whole sentence. So the original, which actually the earlier verse helped us, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So the, the not is not about we don't fight. No, it's what we don't fight against. So we don't fight human beings. We fight principles. This way, this battle becomes very difficult, beloved. I'll be very, as we go into the weekend, some of you will identify that some of the things you think, oh, that's just a difficult person. It's not about that person. Sometimes it's what's behind them. So you're not fighting them. It's not that difficult husband. It's not about just difficult boss, or this awkward person who just turned up in your life, and, and, and you just don't know, what do I do with them? Maybe it's not about what you do with them, it's what you do with the power behind them. Hello? And, and most of the time we realize, for the, most of us who are parents, this is a big thing because some of this affects our children. So you, you just come to your wit's end, so I don't know what to do with my children. I mean, they just become something else. And sometimes, maybe it's not about the children. Maybe it could be something behind them. Maybe uh, we need to take Paul seriously and begin to do battle against that which is causing the behaviors that we are seeing. Now, I'm not saying every, every funny behavior is a demon, uh, but certainly... 
Now, uh, the demons are there and they do have an impact in certain areas. So that's a big topic we'll come to later in terms of discerning when something is just normal, human behavior, and when something is clearly spiritual. Can I hear me? Are you following me? Is this very boring? Are you following me? This is, for most of you, this is just a uh, uh, um, thing. So basically, what I've established in the, in the last two verses is this, that there is a battle going on. When Jesus was dealing with people, he was dealing with them, with their situation, but there was something about their oppression. And they recognized that oppression as coming from their enemy. Paul is talking about our life. We are in a battle zone. You are wrestling. You are at war. We are, to, as a church, we are. In fact, this is written in the context of a church. It says we. So it's actually, he's talking about the church at Ephesus. So we here at Crowley, we are in a battle. But you know, sometimes when things happen in battle, it's like if, if we were in a battle, you, you know, uh, let's pretend England is, far, is at war with another country and soldiers go there, they are trained to expect battle stuff. People will be shot, some people will die, some people, you know, will be injured, some people, all these things. And when they're happening, they know this is war. But you know what happens these days in, in church? It's like when certain battle stuff begin to happen, everybody's like shocked. Why is this happening to us? How come? How come it's short? Well, because you are in a war. And the enemy shall fire. You remember the other verses? He has got schemes, he has got strategies, and there's stuff that he will throw at us, and we've got to be ready. Can I hear an amen from somebody? So, therefore, uh, what is a spiritual warfare? Let me borrow from uh, what um, uh, the, 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 the book that, um, that Steve uh, recommended, which is Demolishing Stronghold, uh, from Dev Devinish. There's a lovely, lovely uh, definition there that I like. Um, but because of time, I won't go through it. I'll just uh, mention it at this point. Uh, Deb Devinish says, you see, that spiritual warfare is the reality of the fact that uh, as we build the kingdom of God, we are in a battle, I'm paraphrasing him, against the whole arsenal of the kingdom of the devil, which is arrayed against us. And therefore, using the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we can take authority and enforce the victory on the cross. Amen. So it's a reality that we are in a battle. Tell your neighbor, we are in a battle. Uh, sorry, we do that in Africa. We talk to each other. When... <laughs> it's very helpful to keep each other awake. <laughs> so we are in a battle. Now, let me ask the follow-up question very quickly because of time. And the question is, why is this important? So Steve and Kaz and the elders in the church feels we, could do, we should do this at this time. I mean, why is it this important? Are we not just scaring people? You, you know, I, I don't particularly like demons. Oh, by the way, we'll not be talking a lot about demons. We'll be talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, but demons and all these things, they don't, they're not nice things. Even, that's why um, I were told Britain is a Christian country, so we chased all the demons to Africa. Uh, <laughs> 
Seriously. I always can ask this question. Do you think there are demons in the UK? No, they're, are they? You see, that's why I say this is a very mature audience here. But, but do you know there are people who generally believe that those things, you know, like, like they're mystical stuff that, you know, weird people thought about. The demons don't, don't exist, they're long gone. But you know what? Um, actually, one of the best tricks of the enemy is to convince you that he is not there. If he can convince you that he is not there, then he's warned because you won't even be alert. And that's one of the strategies of the enemy is to try to make us feel that a lot of the things he's doing among us or so in our community, in our families, they are just happening. There's nothing behind them. They're just coincidences. We can, there's another explanation. Uh, and thanks, Helen, again for uh, helping us through your own personal story that, that you know, uh, in some cases, there's a power, there's a force, and the strategy of the enemy, there's a very clear system of the enemy to try and get us to, uh, to behave in a certain way, to be oppressed in a particular way. Why is this important? Why is this important? Let me give you a few reasons why spiritual warfare is very important in the church as we understand the nature of spiritual warfare. Number one, the most important, the, the, spiritual warfare is important because Jesus himself engaged in it. It was at the center of Jesus' life. If you uh, go back to this passage of scripture that we read in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, it's very clear that Jesus went about uh, undoing the works of the devil. There's two other verses I can quote very quickly. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. Uh, the guys on the projector are quite good. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, 8. And the last part of that is that it's for this reason that Jesus came, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Now, so part of the big uh, triumph over the cross, first uh, John chapter 3 verse 8, was that Jesus had to deal with the enemy. He had to deal with him who had the power of, of death. He, he, he destroyed the works of the enemy. Uh, in the manifesto chapter, that, that's the one, the last part of that, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In the powerful Jubilee Manifesto at Nazareth, after he came back from being tempted by the devil, in Luke chapter 4, uh, let me just go there, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. This is Jesus' manifesto as we know it. He was declaring why he came. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, and he came from another where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up, and he read. And listen to what he says with the context of spiritual warfare. Listen, for Jesus says he came, and there was delivered unto him the book. And he opened where he found the place was written. And this is what he says in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord. Let's read it together. It's a beautiful one. Yeah, we all know that. One, two, three, four. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty 
them that are bruised. And you see they're preaching deliverance to the captives. It's talking about setting free the captives. It is at the heart of the manifesto of Jesus. Why he came, the purpose he came is to set people free. Now we all know that and we all say yes and amen to that. But what we want to do is to actually live it and see it happening. And the people that are oppressed and ministers that it is available. Jesus has already finished and accomplished everything. And on the cross, he says, it is done. So people can receive their freedom. Amen. And just out of that, I just want to declare by faith, whatever oppression, maybe in your family or in somebody, whatever oppression has been put on you, we want to declare out of that, Jesus came to set us free. Therefore, it will not stand. It will not stay. Now, let me say that at this moment. As we start going that way, the schemes of the enemy, part of it is to ensure, no, this is not for you. Now, you are in the wrong meeting. You are not going to come here again tomorrow, are you? Uh, because, you see, the, the enemy would want to ensure he perpetuates certain things that are going on by actually making sure it's not what they think it is. What that guy is talking about is not really me, you know? But please, can I plead with you that we stay there. And many of us, we are here uh, partly, partly because uh, we want to learn, partly because it's a meeting that's happening at church, partly because uh, some of us, uh, the Lord is probably bringing certain situation and is pointing a finger at them and then say, that needs to be I can deal with that. I pray that we allow the Lord to do that. Amen. He came to set the captives free. Uh, if I had the time, I would talk to, to you further. In the same passage of scripture, you notice that there's a lot of confrontation uh, with, with the enemy. Jesus came and took the devil head on in his life. At the end, through the cross, Colossians chapter 2, verse uh, 14, 15, it's a powerful verse. He said, through the cross... He made a public spectacle of the devil, and through the cross, he triumphed over principalities and powers. We serve a triumphant Jesus. Amen. Beloved, in all spiritual warfare, we start from that point, we are more than conquerors. Uh, for us, we are coming from the point where we realize that it is finished on the cross, therefore, the enemy just has to give up. Um, two, uh, three years ago, uh, at that uh, big conference at Devoted, um, I remember uh, at the end, uh, I preached. I wasn't preaching on, on spiritual warfare. I was preaching on something else, but the Lord just took the message somewhere else. And this is like 2,500 people. And we, uh, the Spirit just broke out, really, at the end in uh, setting people free. And uh, I, I remember as we were praying for somebody, uh, we had the ministry team, like we do in this church, and, and as we're praying, uh, so these two ladies, uh, this person was, was lying on the floor, and, and, they were the two, and they were holding. So I went there and said, okay, now, let's just deal with it. They, say, they look at me and say, what? I said, just, just deal with it. Oh, they said, okay, yeah, yeah, you deal with it. And I said, no, not me, you. They said, no, but we don't know. What, what do we do? He looks a bit uh, unconscious. 
Uh, I said, yeah. But Jesus says you shall cast out. So you cast out. They said, no, 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 no. You, you do it. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay, that's not in Crawley. That's uh, another conference somewhere else. <laughs> you know, Jesus has already done the work. All we do is just enforce the finished work. It is finished, yeah. beloved. We are not fighting the battles now. No, the battle was already won, won on the cross. Is that wonderful? Yeah. So that's the first thing. Jesus, it was important to Jesus, and he spent time on it. I could, I could, I could, you could go into Luke chapter 4 and look at how Jesus actually began to deal with various things, um, um, healing the sick and confronting. In fact, it was one thing that people looked at Jesus in the same passage of Scripture. Uh, later on, uh, it says there that uh, when he casted out the demon from that person who was uh, uh, blind, um, people were so surprised. He said he spoke like one who had authority. Yeah. Beloved, you have authority. When Jesus was going, he says, I give you power over every power of the enemy. So what Jesus has done is to actually take the finished work of what he did on the cross and given it to us, and he says, go and do it. Why is this important? Let me just give you the second reason. Because on the... In the, it's embedded in our great commission. You cannot do the, obey the great commission and remove a bit of it. Jesus said, uh, in fact, in Matthews, give me Matthew chapter uh, 28, verse 18. Uh, but if we start a verse before the great commission, he begins, first of all, by indicating that all power on earth and in heaven has been given to me. That's what he says. He says, uh, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. He's the risen Christ. He's been given all authority, all power. And therefore, the next verse says, therefore, go. Go ye, therefore. The therefore is, makes then more sense. Because you know what? For me, when I was in, in Bible college, I, I, that is one of the scriptures you have to memorize, obviously. It's a great commission. And then it starts with, Therefore, go. You never start the sentence with therefore. Uh, when you say therefore, this is in England, we all know it, it's, there, it's there for something. There is a thought before the therefore. <laughs> so you've got to get that thought. And what's the thought? It says, all power has been given. Therefore, go. So we are going in power, we are going in authority, and therefore the rest shall happen at the back of the finished work of Jesus. Mark chapter uh, 15, uh, he, I, I love that. He, he says, again, the great commission. He says, um, and this, shall, this sign shall follow all those who believe in my name. In my name they shall cast out demons. All right. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Sorry, I'm running through these verses because of time. But at the beginning of the disciples, Mark chapter 3, verse 13, uh, he, he says to them, uh, he called those he wanted, then he gave them the commission. He gave them the job description. Mark, that's the one. Uh, he, he, he goeth up to the mountain and called unto them those whom he, he wanted. Uh, now just jump to the next verse for me. And he ordained the twelve that they should be with him. That's the first thing. The first calling for you is to be with Jesus. So he said they should be with him. That's our calling of intimacy. And we're doing so well, especially the church in the UK. Intimacy. When we come with Lily here, we learn how you guys are engaging with the spirit. 
just in intimacy, your music, your worship. We go home so refreshed. Last week we were at the Father's Heart Conference. It was just amazing how people just connecting with God, intimacy with God. That's the first calling. The second thing it says, and that he might send them forth to preach. That's your next thing. We are all sent out to preach, isn't it? They were to go and preach the gospel. So are we. So is Crowley. Uh, so Crowley, whatever happens, CCC, never stop. Did you hear me? I'm from outside, so I could say that boldly because I'm going out away after this. Never stop. The enemy will attack your intimacy with God. The enemy will attack every initiative that you come. You'll start to, to reach out to the community to do stuff. You know, do not expect the devil to clap and applaud you. No, he will do everything in the book to stop you. Is that okay to say that? And, and please, let's be mindful of that, of that. That's why every initiative must be birthed in prayer. There's got to be people praying. Uh, let's never take anything for granted. We've got to pray and cover everybody because the enemy is there. He'll do every, everything to counterattack. The third part then in verse 15, he says, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out uh, uh, devils. Uh, this is the KJV, so it really puts it very strong. That's why necessarily we are seeing, we are reading from the KJV because it's quite strong uh, to cast out devils. That's so old-fashioned. I say that again: to cast out devils. That's so old-fashioned. But you know, there are some times that if if something needs to be broken, it's got to be broken uh, by the power of the Lord because there's no other alternative. Uh, hello, uh, spiritual warfare. It's very different from spiritual welfare. Uh, again, in England, that's easy to remember. That's easy to understand. You see, in Africa, I have to explain warfare and welfare. They're two different things. So uh, uh, for those of us in leadership, if somebody's under the oppression of the enemy, counseling will not help very much uh, uh, because demons, demonic oppressions do not break by counseling it out. Is that okay for you to say that? Uh, and in fact, it takes you round in circles. You will be doing a lot of circles, a lot of, you just never get anywhere. In fact, at the end of the day, you just get tired. When are you going to be solved? Uh, we've done everything. We've followed all the techniques. No, because what's here needs to be uprooted. Maybe the old word is, needs to be uh, uh, broken or cast out, as it says there. Um, so, uh, but if we don't do that, so we couldn't take a warfare, spiritual warfare situation into a welfare. Welfare is nice, just talking, just nice counseling. Now, I'm not saying everything is like that. There will be certain situations which are not spiritual warfare, and therefore that's why we have counselors. Uh, we have counselors in our church. We've got to do that. We've got to help people. We've got to think through issues. But the point I'm making is this. But if it's a spiritual warfare situation, it can't be dealt with with Warfare, welfare. Uh, and so we get to a place where the pastor gets really tired, uh, the team gets really worried down because the stuff we're dealing with is beyond just talking. Maybe somebody's recognizing some of the stuff that I'm talking about. Maybe some, some stuff you've gone through, something we have. Is this making sense to somebody? Yeah, yeah. It may be stuff in the, in the family. That's why sometimes our children are under attack. And tomorrow we'll be talking about discerning uh, a spiritual attack, discern. You need to recognize it. So if it's something that you as a parent need to take authority 
And especially those of you who are in a position of headship, pastors like Steve, leaders, we call them pastors in Zambia. It means leaders uh, of groups, even you who are heads of families, you know you exert authority over your family in a very positive way, but even in the spirit, did you know that? That you can, uh, you, you stand at the gate of your family, one of the things that the enemy is doing is to kill the gate, is to get families to a place where they are so vulnerable that nobody watches at the gate. One of the key things that God called us to do is to be gate keepers. Elders are gate keepers. What do they do? Yes, you guessed right. They sit at the gate and keep the gate. That's the number one role of eldership. And um, so why did they do that in the Old Testament? They watched who came into the city, and if a character looks a bit iffy, they had to stop him at the gate and interview him. I said, excuse me, where are you going? Uh, could we have a chat, please? And so gatekeeping is a very critical part of leadership, and uh, probably uh, we could chat that uh, in another forum. But for, for families, the, 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 the head, you are the gatekeeper of your family. Yeah. Hello? That's why, you know, you get, you get husbands who don't pray over the family. They just speak nice words. No, it's more than just nice words. You can't just wish your family well and it stops there. No, you've got to pray them well. You have to stand and stop certain things from happening. Hello, is that? I know that sounds a bit, a bit strong. But it is strong because that's one of the role that, that, that you play to uh, look after your family. So Jesus appointed us to watch over his flock and to protect them. Let me just say uh, two things uh, uh, on, on why this is important, and then we, are, uh, we can just uh, pray a little bit and then, and then go. Have you been blessed tonight? So it's the priority in the apostolic commission. That's basically what I'm saying. It's part and parcel of our apostolic calling. The third reason is that we see an example of this in the early church. The early church was a spiritual warfare church. They were so aware of the battle, of the conflicts that we were, we were in. So uh, you could see that uh, if, uh, starting from even in the book of Acts, you notice Philip at Samaria, for example, um, um, they recognized he was there preaching but he recognized the spiritual uh, attacks in, in, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 7. There, um, a lot of screaming as demons left people when he was preaching. So it was part and parcel of uh, the early church experience. It was nothing unusual as people worship and uh, as people come to be actually, uh, it says there, unclean spirits crying with loud voices come, came out of not one, Many, and we're possessed with them, and many were taken with pulses, and our lamb were healed. There was healing, there were miracles, there were breakthroughs, and basically what I see there is a lot of the breakthroughs in the early church were actually linked with a lot of spiritual warfare going on. Hello? As I say, uh, but you see, we live in, in today's world, which is, we thank God for advances in medicine, advances in medical science, and everything else, which is good. Because 
we have things that they didn't have. And so a lot of things can be dealt with other ways. So we thank God for medicine, and, and I'm really thankful. I mean, I've got a PhD in chemistry, so I'm a scientist myself. So I'm not against science. I'm not against medical advances. I'm for it. But there's a lot of other things within that sense that, are, that even medicine recognizes this is beyond medicine. Uh, a certain friend of ours, a medical doctor at Sheffield, who was a Christian, came to me and says, no, there is something now we are calling MUSE. So what is MUSE, M-U-S? He said, well, MUSE is medically unexplained symptoms. So I said, what's that? He said, well, this is stuff that, so stuff is happening, and medically we can't explain it. And, but the doctor won't tell you, okay, unless they're very honest. They'll just trying to investigate, and, but, but they know that typically this, this, we are out of our ends. So the stuff that is in the spirit that uh, cannot be dealt with simply by physical, medical stuff. That's why we thank God we're Christians. God has given us power, amen, and authority to deal with stuff that is beyond just human. Amen. So Philip, in the New Testament, um, the church was very much aware of what they possessed, and they did that. You can see that in the entire book of Acts, book of Ephesians. We've already talked about that. And basically, you notice that that's that. And today, so thanks to Steve, I think that Crowley Community Church, you're a very mature church, and uh, uh, God is preparing you for battle. And not just preparing you for the future. I think also there's been battles. But sometimes... When there's battles and spiritual attacks, sometimes it, it takes certain maturity of understanding in these things to recognize when there is a spiritual attack. All right? The last one I was going to say, my time is up, is simply this. That spiritual warfare is not something you decide to get involved in. Hello? Look, I've got some good news for you. You are already involved. We didn't come here to convince you to say, oh, can you do some spiritual warfare a little bit? No. You are already involved. You are in it. As I'm speaking, you, you are in the battleground, my sister. So you might as well just uh, be aware, like Paul says, of what the enemy is doing. Now, that's the biggest uh, uh, trick of the enemy in, in today's church, where he's convinced the church that... Spiritual warfare is for a certain type of people. The rest of us can get on with our lives. And this is spiritual warfare thing is Steve needs to find some people to do this thing on the, on the corner. No. This is for the whole church. This is something that Jesus himself was doing. The early church was involved with. The apostle Paul wrote letters about it. It's, 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 it involves all of us. And I sense in my spirit, even here, uh, through the eldership, and I submit this to them, that, you know, even here at Crawley, there's been an exacerbation of spiritual attack on this church because of the good things you're doing. You know, uh, when, when there is bad, when spiritual attack happens, the one thing, the wrong question people ask is, what have we done wrong? Look, you, you don't have to do something wrong for the enemy to attack you. In fact, it's when you're doing a lot of good stuff that the enemy attacks you because he's not happy. 
is stopping the advance of the kingdom of God. What was my last point? That the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom of God is a spiritual warfare issue. That's why the Bible says, Jesus says when you pray, you should say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Huh? And deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. So this is a daily prayer we pray. But that the, the, the whole spiritual warfare is embedded in our prayer life. And so Crowley Community Church, even as we meet this weekend, let's gather around this. Let's be equipped. And also maybe as I've been speaking, there's some things that the Spirit is talking to you about. He's pointing a finger at something. He says that. Even maybe as Helen was sharing, some of you just said that. I think I need to talk about that. You know, we need to talk about that. Some of us, some of this may have been even running in our families. So-called generational stuff. Uh, we can go into the argument of it, but you know, you don't need anybody to convince you that there is oppression in your family. Most of the people that are oppressed, do you know what? They know it. They'll sit there and nobody understands what's going on, but they understand. They know, I need freedom. I need to be set free from something. <coughs> Helen um, has helped us with that testimony. Maybe even as we finish this, or as we start this session, there could be stuff in your family where you're thinking, or in your own personal life where you're thinking, that needs to break. That needs to be dealt with. We pray that the Lord, by his grace, will come through for us. Amen. We will be praying into stuff. We will be declaring into stuff. We'll be applying the finished work of Jesus in all that he has done. And I finish to remind you with Matthew 16. He says, Jesus says, I am building the church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's speak of a Crowley Community Church. Jesus is building this church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This weekend, we are standing on that and in faith, reinforcing and reestablishing that ground that the words of Jesus will never fall to the ground. This is a victorious church. Hallelujah. This is an, an awesome church. And we declare the power and the victory of Jesus. Just stand with me as we finish right there. Oh, we're out of time. Was this helpful? Was this helpful? Uh, let's give a clap of offering to the Lord for his finished work. Thank you, Lord. Let me just pray for us as we go. Um, we won't do much ministry tonight, but tomorrow we've got plenty of time in the afternoon. What time is it, Steve? Three. And, uh, and also at seven in the evening. So we just encourage you to come. And maybe there's somebody you know who could benefit from listening to some of this. Please bring them along. Let's just have a wonderful time. This is self-space, safe space. Close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes for a moment. Um, and as you go to sleep tonight, we are asking God that he will reveal anything that needs to be undone in our lives, in our families, in our church. We're not saying everything is a demonic thing, but those things that are, that the Lord will reveal to us. Why don't you just ask God for that simple thing? Lord, reveal that by the power that you did on the cross, we may know the power of the risen Christ.
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Father, where there is spiritual oppression, reveal it to us, O God. Where the enemy has been hidden and inflicting um, pain, uh, frustration, disappointment, and uh, uh, I just feel uh, a, a strong sense of uh, two things tonight. Uh, mental oppression, people that are just mentally, you can't just rest. There's a sense of restlessness. Jesus says, I came to give you peace. Yeah. And we want to pray against that restlessness yeah. in mental health that it be broken in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Just receive it by faith. We'll be dealing with it tomorrow. But just for now, just receive it by faith if that's you or, or that's somebody you know in the name of Jesus. Spirit of rejection is another thing that I feel very strongly in this place. There's a spirit of uh, rejection. Just say no to that in the name of Jesus. Why don't you repeat that prayer with me and say, Father, uh, everybody, we can just say that together. It's, it's one of the things we do is declaring. Just say, Father, I thank you that I'm accepted by you. Therefore, rejection has no place in my life. In the name of Jesus. Just stand in the truth of that. Father, we just want to stand and tonight re rejoice in the fact that you've accepted us. This spirit, this evil spirit, this evil thing of self-rejection, rejecting all that you've done in our life, we just refuse it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so, Father, even tonight as your people go, we just cover them under the blood of Jesus. We pray against any counter-attack as a result of engaging in this area. We pray, cover our families, cover our jobs, cover uh, us, especially our children, that the enemy shall not counter-attack because of this moment of engaging in spiritual warfare. I thank you for the breakthroughs ahead of us. And we pray that, Lord, may you bless Steve and Kaz and all the elders in this church as they prepare the church for this new level of breakthroughs, of release, and of freedom in the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you for listening. God bless you.